You're listening to the Sales Leadership Podcast, brought to you by the Canadian Professional Sales Association, sharing strategies and tools to help you develop leads and achieve sales targets. And now your host, Tim Baker. Rejection and resilience, two very big challenges that we all face from time to time, both professionally and personally. Learning how to manage rejection and embrace resilience early in life will better prepare you for your development as a sales leader. Today's workforce has multiple generations working together. If leaders work together to identify skills gaps and take the time to share experiences and learn from each other, we can be more productive and create a lasting culture. Our guest today is Jamie Shanks. Jamie is one of North America's leading social selling experts. He has personally built social selling solutions in nearly every industry, ranging from startups to Fortune 500 companies. Before starting his first sales agency, Toronto-based Jamie was the director of sales at two software companies. Jamie has trained thousands of sales professionals from Fortune 500 companies to solopreneurs. For sales professionals, team leaders, and organizations across the country, the Canadian Professional Sales Association is your partner in building knowledge and skills to improve sales performance. The CPSA is the advocate for excellence in sales. We invest resources in programming, curriculum development, and professional designations to help individuals and companies become more successful through effective sales. We connect employers and employees, business with academia, and the private sector with government to advance the sales profession and improve Canadian competitiveness. Learn more at cpsa.com. And remember to subscribe to the CPSA podcast through iTunes, Google Play, and more. Jamie, welcome to the Leadership Series podcast brought to you by the CPSA. Happy to have you with us today. Thank you so much for the invite. Jamie, could you tell our listeners, tell us a bit about your career path and why you wanted to pursue a career in sales? I actually didn't want to pursue a career in sales. <laughs> I wanted to be a stockbroker. And I was convinced that being a stockbroker was not being a sales professional. So well, I remember when I was a grade nine, uh, it was, you know, student follows uh, their parent to work day. Well, my mother was a neonatal nurse and my father was a geologist and neither of those paths I wanted to take. But my father's best friend was a stockbroker for now called BMO Nesbitt Burns, then called Burns Fry. And I used to volunteer there. I used to hang out in their office. I would dress the part. I was convinced I was going to be a stockbroker. So that was my introduction, and I only through working at BMO Nesbitt recognized that I didn't need to be a, a pontificator of stock. I was a sales professional dressed really nicely, talking about stock best practices, uh, and it changed my perspective. That's very interesting. So how did so tell us from that point to now? How did you? How did your career path take you to where you are now? So I was working at BMO Nezer Burns. I was 23 years old and I watched the boom and the bust of the dot-com 2000 boom and crash. And I actually remember how and why I decided to leave. I, I was working as a junior broker and one of the brokers I was supporting 
I don't know what they had been doing with somebody's account, but long of the short is I, I was watching people who had no business being in the technology space of the stock market lose a, a lifetime of savings. And it disenfranchised me with the whole process. And at the same time, a friend had reached out and said, hey, do you want to go do your MBA? And I said, oh, that sounds great. I'll do anything to get out of here. And so moved to Australia, lived there for two years, did my master's in Adelaide, Australia. Again, it was in marketing, it had nothing to do with sales. And when I came back to Canada, I moved to Toronto. I needed a job so bad. And I begged my way into a job in a corporate real estate company. Uh, basically, they had turned me down. I had six interviews. They kept saying no, I was too junior. And I actually got dressed one morning, watched the receptionist leave her front post, walked through the office, walked into the CEO's office and stood there. And he, he was grabbing a squash bag, trying to leave the room. And I said, I'm the guy you've interviewed six times. I want to work here. I'll do whatever it takes. I'll start on the phones. You don't have to give me the same title as everybody else. And he said, okay, walk with me. And so I walked with him from King and Young to the, uh, the Cambridge club. And that whole way, I basically begged him like a dog. I said, give me a job, give me a job, give me a job. And he did. And it turned out that I had a knack for selling and it started being able to sell myself. So that's interesting. And I've, and I've heard a few stories in the past too, about people who have said, you know, I, I wanted to work at that company so bad that I just marched right into the, the, the executive or the CEO's office and said, here's why you need to hire me, you know, or here's yeah. why I should be working here. And you know what, it, it works sometimes to take that direct route and really pitch and, and or you know, sell yourself. So that's, that's an interesting story. I like that. Uh, in your opinion, what are the characteristics of a successful leader in sales? Recognize that not everybody needs to use the same playbook you used to be successful. And I guess that's been one of the biggest changes that I've seen as myself uh, go from a quota carrying sales professional to a sales leader to then a CEO. My playbook, if, if you look at the personas in the book, The Challenger Sale, there are five types of sellers from the lone wolf to the hard worker to the challenger to the relationship person. I'm the classic hard worker. I grew up in farm country. I worked on farms. I cut grass. I just could log more calls, cut more lawn, work longer hours than other people. Doesn't mean I work smarter. <clears throat> and in fact, I'd be the first to admit I wasn't working smarter. Um, but that that was what made me successful. What made me successful is I came into the office on Saturdays and Sundays and created prospecting lists so that I was prepared on Mondays where my colleagues weren't doing that. But I've recognized in my own sales staff that if I were to try to instill my playbook in them, most of them wouldn't make it. But they've found their own playbook that has made them successful. But the ones that can't find any playbook to be successful, of course, you need to leave. So it's recognizing that even though you, the sales professional, were a great networker, and that's what made you amazing, and so you think that everybody else should be the same as you, that's, that's not the case. So I, I think that would be the most fundamental lesson that a leader could learn. What are some challenges that the, the young sales professional that's sort of just starting in their career or on their way what are some of the challenges they might face early in the early stages? Resilience and rejection. 
sometimes in the office we joke about millennials versus Gen X. I'm born in 1978, so I'm a Gen X, and we all tease and razz each other. But there's clearly these general these generalizations exist because there's some have truths to them. And one of the things that I'm seeing in the the, the newer crop of sales professionals is the ability to handle rejection and the need for getting punched in the face day after day and still being energized enough to get back on the horse and keep doing it. And I'll, if you don't mind, I'll tell it through a story. And this is, this is the, the difference between somebody that is willing to go that extra mile and those that aren't. And I think that's what makes a successful sales professional. I was six months on the job in a corporate real estate uh, engagement, and we had landed a proposal or an engagement with one of the largest deals that that company would do, our corporate real estate company would do all year. And the deal, the commission was large enough. It was going to be six figures. It would pay off my MBA debt. The CEO and I, on a Saturday morning, had to go to the industrial space. It was hundreds of thousands of square foot industrial building that we were negotiating. And we had our customer and we had the landowner on this plot of land. And I don't know how it happened, but our customer and that landlord got in an actual fist fight wow. in front of us. I don't know what, how it happened. Our customer pulled me into the back of his Audi A8L and he turned around and he only said two words, Donald Trump style, you're fired. And I went home. I'm sitting on the couch, my roommate's looking at me, I'm sulking in my cereal, it's so early in the morning. And he said, like, what are you doing? Get up, go earn his business back. I want you to go to a liquor store. I want you to buy the most expensive bottle of scotch you could afford. And then I want you to drive to that guy's house and apologize. And so I went to the liquor store, I bought a $100 bottle of Lagavulin or whatever it was drove to King City in, a, in the gated community outside of Toronto, hopped the yeah. gated community fence, walked up his laneway, and he was sitting in a bathroom smoking a cigar. And he smiled and laughed at me, brought me into the backyard. We had a drink and rehired me. And I realized that there are people that will either fight or flight. And the summary here is, I think generationally, I'm seeing a group of sales professionals that aren't willing to put on the boxing gloves as generations before them as a generalization that's a risk reward thing again too but when you figure it when you look at it i mean would you have to lose if you're making zero the only thing you have left is time and so making even a dollar more is better than your current situation uh, it's interesting you bring up sort of as a generalization in in generations there's there seems to be less and less learning around failure or rejection. Now, maybe I'm off. Maybe that's a generalization. Maybe it's an older generation looking at the younger generation and making a, you know, assumptions and stereotypes and whatever. But, but I do think there is something to that. Maybe the younger generation has not experienced enough failure and, and, and chances to experience failure that is not going to shatter your world. It's just learning what it means to not have something go your way. And then you either make the decision to get back up on the horse or walk away. And then and then to learn to deal with whatever natural consequences come from either one. Yeah, totally agree. Let's shift a little bit here. You speak often about the skills gap between generations with regards to social media and, and technology. I've watched uh, some of your videos and, and listened to and read some of your stuff. 
So tell us, how can the young tech and social savvy sales leader uh, help close the skills gap that might exist within their own organization that they see, they observe? I was at a LinkedIn Sales Connect event recently, and it is a, a misnomer that your younger millennials will naturally be better social or digital sellers than is your older sales professional. You know, for me at 38, I'm what we call in the industry a digital immigrant. It means I was not born with an iPad in my hand. I had to learn that skill. Whereas my 20-something counterparts actually leverage these tools in high school, in college. And so the long of the short is you as a tech leader, you're sitting here and you employ people who are younger than you and you employ people that are older than you. And you have to recognize that both have opportunities and then skill gaps. The opportunity for the older generation, and in fact, what LinkedIn proved through a study was that those over the age of 40 were capable of outperforming their peer who are younger if they learned the skill of being social and digital because their networks, this is a game of people-to-people relationships. At the end of the day, people buy from people they like, trust, uh, and so forth. So long of the short is those that are over 40 have friends, have colleagues, have past acquaintances that are all in power positions. And so if they learn to mechanize their relationships, it becomes powerful. The advantage for the younger uh, sales professional is clear that this this is easier to indoctrinate into your day-to-day cadence. So if they learn how to centralize that process and minimize the distraction, that's the big part. So what we teach is social selling routine, that if they can condense what they were probably doing in four hours to do it in 30 minutes and to harness that power into something meaningful, that means that they leave more time in their day for core other selling skills. And that's where you can also improve that skill gap. And now you're, you've, you've improved the strengths of both. For the older generation, it's learned to harness and mechanize relationships. And then for the younger generation, it's basically centralized that laser beam and concentrated into, into something meaningful. Um, and then you've got a, a powerful workforce that could be social and digital. I'm like yourself. I'm a Gen X. I'm a digital immigrant. I am very social, tech savvy, social savvy. That was something that was very important to me. And, and, and I made it a priority to, to learn. I started out most of my social media networking on a professional basis, not so much personal. I, I know that the digital natives, the younger generation, will likely already through social media have personal networks. As they transition into their professional career, how, in your opinion, can they leverage that network that they already have that's probably uh, the majority of is personal-based? How can they sort of transition that or leverage that to lead into referral-based selling? So most of those sales professionals went to college or university. At each one of those colleges and universities, people before them had shared a life experience. So I'm going to use myself as an an example. I went to the University of Ottawa for my undergrad. At the University of Ottawa, every single uh, professor, doesn't matter the degree, 
for generations drank and ate the chicken wings at a place called Fathers and Sons. Tens of thousands of people a year, every year for generations. And if I were to even just mention the name Fathers and Sons in an email or in a voicemail or in a social message to an alumni at the University of Ottawa, they would laugh, giggle, and bring up the fondest moments. And so I'm a young sales professional who just graduated from Queens or from Western or from Guelph or wherever it is. The reality is that there are people who have walked a mile in the same shoes you have just at different times in their lives. And there's a tool within LinkedIn. It's under my network. And you can drop down, drop down and it says find alumni. And it allows you to dissect the school you went to and see, and you could sort by any city in the world, any company in the world, any current job title in the world. And now all of a sudden you can pinpoint either a named account or pinpoint an industry or geographic node that you want to focus on and say, okay, I want to know, my named account is Oracle. I want to see if there's any University of Alumni that work at Oracle. And in fact, there's right now 82 people. There are 82 people in the Oracle ecosystem that could help me and be an advocate to get me in the door. And my conversation starter is going to be something with what we call is within their sphere of influence. It means that it has a personal connection to them, and that's going to be the University of Ottawa. So that's where you could start. You might sit there and say, well, I just graduated school. What value can I bring? Well, the value you can bring is that you have a brother and sisterhood of people who also shared a life experience with you that you could use, a, use as a door opener. That's a great story. I, You know what? I can relate to that. I go to a lot of networking events and that sort of thing. And... A lot of times my first conversation with someone, even if I didn't know them previously, or maybe I, I did and I found something in common. Oh, I, oh, you went to the school or you, you worked here, you know, just before I did or whatever, is that our conversation starts on something that we have in common and it does, has nothing to do with whatever it is that services or products that I'm, that I eventually want to either sell to them or, or have them get me in the door. The conversation is around something that we have in common. So that's, I, I love that answer and I can relate to that. Uh, well, the, the younger generation sales professional will not have lived through this era. I was on the tail end of this era, but I was still on the boots on the ground, meaning every meeting I took was in a physical boardroom or an office before right. the era of digital. I mean, you probably saw it in movies, but when you walked into somebody's office, you were taught, Look around. Do you see a golf bag? Do you see a little toy Ferrari? What do you see that you can humanize the conversation? And mm-hmm. for me, as a as a car nut, I would pray that every meeting I took, I walked in there and there was some model car or some photo of a car that I could talk about because it was something that I was passionate about and I knew they were. And we could steer the conversation away for a brief moment, humanize ourselves, and then talk business. Share us a little bit how uh, our listeners can reach out to you, how they can connect with you, which I think is probably yeah. obvious. But Connect with me on LinkedIn and Twitter. Our company, so we've built the world's largest sales training curriculum on the topic of social selling. So we help sales and marketers around the world become more digitally savvy, to book meetings, drive business, create greater depth in accounts. And uh, you can reach out LinkedIn and Twitter, but as well, we have just published a book called Social Selling Mastery and uh, connect with us that way as well. Wonderful. Jamie, thank you so much for taking 
uh, the time today to share your thoughts and insights and experience with us. I know that our audience will, will value this uh, for sure. So thank you very much for your time. Thank you for the invite and uh, hope I can come on another time. Absolutely. And to our listeners, thank you so much for listening. This has been the Leadership Podcast Series brought to you by the CPSA. Talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Leadership Podcast, brought to you by the Canadian Professional Sales Association. 